sit right there. I know Keith's gone, but I know the feeling. I get up here and forget my name sometimes. And um, anyone who's been up on the stage knows when they have to look out at y'all sometimes. It just takes your breath away. Really, it just takes your breath away. So um, I invite you to turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 45 today. Wasn't that a blessing? That was a blessing. And uh, thank you. We have... We have sung and read and, and studied about the hope in Christ. And really, it, it ties right in with the very beginning. The, this morning, we were wrapping up um, the, uh, the story begins. In our Sunday school lessons, we're finishing Genesis. We spent 13 weeks in Genesis and started with creation. And as we wrapped up this morning, we were, we were reminded that the book opens in paradise. We, it ends with a tune, a longing for the promised land. And just as the Israelites, just as Jacob and his sons received the promise that was given to Abraham and given to Isaac and given to Jacob and passed down that one day they were going to have a home, they were going to have a place, and it was, it was the promised land, it was the land of promise, and one day the, the Messiah would come and right all the wrongs, and we stand in that, that moment between then and between now and looking forward to the promised land, the place that He has prepared for us. This world is not our home. We're simply passing through. We're temporary. But the home He has provided for us is permanent. And it is perfect. And the question is, how do we live in the here and now when we... we, we have sin and temptation and trials and suffering and ISIS and, and, and Black Friday. I mean, honestly, no wonder they want to blow us up because they have seen what happens on Black Friday. And they, I mean, it's like, yeah, I can understand. Why are we fighting over steamers and whacking people over the head with big screen TVs? You know, what is that? My goodness. But there is a better place and there's a better way. And Christ came so that we might hope and we might have hope and we, He is hope and not, not hope as the world gives, which, you know, the, world, the, the world's definition of hope is like a pipe dream. You know, like I hope, I hope one day Wake Forest will win a football game. You know, that's sort of my hope that one day it'll, it'll happen. Um, forever wishing, you know, a guy can have hope. But our hope is not like that. Our hope is secure. It's secure in Christ, in the God of the universe. Here in our section this morning, uh, we finished up with Joseph, and we're going to zero in and, in the message this morning on one particular passage in, in uh, chapter 45. I think the greatest thing, if there's one thing, if there's one thing we can learn from the life of Joseph, it is the story and the power of forgiveness. The power of forgiveness. I think there's nothing greater than the, what Joseph shows in the true power, the awesome nature. There's some things in Scripture, you know, that's, 
you know, there's, it's described, we're, we're not supposed to follow the, the biblical characters into sin or their lack of faith or lack of trust. This is a section which we can follow and hold up and say, no, this is an awesome example of the power of forgiveness. Let's read this together. Genesis 45, verses 1 through 15. It says, Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, Make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him. For they were dismayed at his presence. So Joseph said to his brothers, Come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth. So to keep you alive, for you, many survivors. So it's not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord over all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen and you shall be near me. You and your children and your children's children and your flocks, your herds, and all that you have, there I'll provide for you, for there are yet five years of famine to come, so that you and your own, your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. And now your eyes see, and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see, that it is my mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father of all my honor in Egypt and of all that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept upon his neck, and he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. After that, his brothers talked with him. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for your word. We pray that your word would penetrate our hearts this morning. Show us and teach us what, it, what forgiveness truly means. And help us to live that out in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A few things this morning on forgiveness from the life of Joseph. Number one, forgiveness does not keep score. Forgiveness does not keep score. In verses 1 through 3, we see Joseph who had gone through all kinds of calamity and suffering in his life by his own flesh and blood, by his brothers, His brothers, as he was growing up, his brothers ridiculed him and made fun of him and mocked him his whole life. When he was 17, they captured him, they stripped him down, and threw him in a pit, in a cistern, in which to kill him. And by God's grace, they didn't kill him, but they decided to do... They, you know, they, they sort of realized, well, it, it won't, we, we won't profit anything if we just kill him. We might as well make some money off of this. And so let's sell him to some Midianite uh, traders as they're coming through. So they sold him into slavery. 
He becomes, a, he becomes a slave, and because they sold him into slavery, he becomes a slave and ends up in Potiphar's house, is falsely accused of, um, of rape, and ends up in prison. All of these things. At every step of the way, he could have asked the question, why me? Why is this happening to me? At any point, he could have said, I can't wait to get back at my brothers. At any point, he could have been plotting his revenge, trying to even the score. Probably thinking that even if he could, that day may never come. God works a miracle in Joseph's life and elevates him to the regent of Egypt, the most powerful man, second only to Pharaoh. And in this position, his brothers return. His brothers find their way to Egypt. Their brothers find their way into Joseph's court in which he has complete control. And in this moment in which Joseph has every opportunity to make things right, to even it up. Instead of seeking revenge against his brother, he does the opposite. He shows them forgiveness. Why? Because though he doesn't, he doesn't discount what happened. He, do, he doesn't try to say, well, it didn't happen in here. He doesn't say none of, none of these things happened or that they weren't evil. But he does not hold it against his brothers. He doesn't have a little book on where he's keeping score. Okay, ridicule on this day, ridicule on this day. Okay, the day you threw me into the pit and pff, when you sold me into slavery, that's a biggie. That's like a million points right there. And I'm, I'm hanging on to that one, that IOU right there. No, he... He doesn't keep score. One of my favorite passages of Scripture in the New Testament is 1 Corinthians 13. The love chapter where Paul defines love. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not boast. All these things. It, we, it's a favorite in weddings. Um, I don't know how many times I've shared it in weddings or heard it shared in weddings. And you have to remember, what's the context of 1 Corinthians? Was it a wedding? Was it like wedded bliss? 1 Corinthians, it was, the church was messed up. Remember, we talked last week. That was the church. Paul said, it's better if y'all don't get together. It's really better. Y'all should just not meet. That's the church he's telling. He's trying to define love to, which means they weren't showing. This wasn't, you know, we use it in weddings, but 1 Corinthians 13 isn't really about husbands and wives, so it is. It's really about believers in the church and how they're to love one another. And I love, I love uh, the NIV's translation of, of, of one particular passage in there in verse 5. He says, love keeps no record of wrongs. That's what love is. That's what Joseph showed. He showed that he was not keeping score. He was not holding a grudge. He was not carrying this around for his brother, for his brother's. But we're, we're, we, we like to keep score. We like to keep score because we like to compare. And we like to make sure that 
we're, you know, you know, we really kind of feel like we're, we're better than other people. We, we wouldn't say that. We wouldn't ever say that. We would, we would sing with the choir, we're just a sinner saved by grace, but, you know, we're not like those people over there. Peter asked the Lord, he said, how often should I forgive my brother? Peter's asking, how many times should I do it? Seven times? And he was like, he was given the good answers. Like, that's the perfect number. I already know the answer to this. So, like, I'm, I'm asking the question. But, you know, you had those people in school that would ask the question, but they're really given the right answer to the teacher and their question. How many times is, it's seven times, right, Lord? Well, what's the Lord say? It's 70 times seven. And he wasn't trying to, like, teach them common core math or whatever, new math. He wasn't trying to say, no, you're supposed to give 490 times. What was he saying? Infinity. You think seven is enough, and that would be a lot and excessive, but you have, if, you, if you've just done seven, you haven't even gotten out of the gate yet for how often that we're to forgive. And so when we talk about not keeping score with one another and how Joseph didn't keep score, we're really commanded not to keep score, okay? Even if we did not have the command, even if it wasn't those, because I know some of you guys are like really into rules, and you're like, I want to know what the rules are. Thou shouts and thou shalt not, and everything's like in a box and in a grid, and I'm good or not, or black or white or whatever. Even if we didn't have the explicit command, the greatest reason that we should not keep score with one another is because the Lord does not keep score with us. Amen? Amen. Hello? If He kept score with us, none of us would have hope. (laughs) We would have no chance. The psalmist tells us, Psalm 103, as far as the east is from the west, so far as He removed our transgressions. How far is that? Can you map that? Can you put a number on that? No, it's infinity. Isaiah speaks of God as casting out His own sin behind His back, meaning He doesn't see it. It's gone. It's back there. As in Isaiah 43, of God as blotting out the people's transgressions. Blotting out isn't... When God blots out our sin, it's not like... um, it, it was funny. Somebody came by the office. And I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna call them out. But somebody came came by the office and asked for whiteout. And Mark and I both had to even think what that was because it's been so long. You just don't use it now, right? Now you don't use it. You just pr- hit print again. You fix it. And you hit print again. But what did you do with whiteout? If you if you wrote something out or if you had typed up a, a paper. You would take the little bottle and you'd open it up and then it would burn like your nose hairs off because of all the fumes, right? And you would take it and you would, it was like little white paint. Some of y'all are looking like you don't know what I'm talking about. I know the kids in here don't know. Some of you always did perfect papers. You never had to do use white out. I know. But you would do, you would do that and then you'd let that, you'd blow on it and you let that dry and if you were too um, hasty, once you rode over it, it would smear everywhere. And then you'd have to do it. Some of y'all did that. Once it dried, then you can ride over it. But you could still see, even using that whiteout, you could still kind of, if you 
you know, if you held it up to the light, just right, come on, you could still kind of see there was still an impression, there was still something there. That's not how God does with our sin. It's not like there's an impression there that He can say, well, I've blotted, I've forgiven it and blotted it out, but I still, you know, it's still there. I really, you're still imperfect. When He blots it out, it's like it never happened. As far as the East is, from the West, Micah in Micah 7.19 talks about the Lord casting our sin into the depths of the sea. This type of language shows us the completeness of how God looks upon our sin when, when He forgives our sin. It's not halfway, and He doesn't keep score. He doesn't sit there and say, I'm going to forget you, but I'm not going to forget how bad you are and, and all that you've done. Right? And yet, we have received such a great forgiveness, such great grace, an overwhelming amount of grace, and one in which the sin we commit today, He still is quick to forgive. That which we know better. And yet in the same way, we fail to treat others as He has treated us. Right? We do. And this is... Now, I'll just tell you. I'll, t- I'll tell you... It's time to quit keeping score. It's time to throw the scorebook away. It doesn't matter if it's, a, if it's a husband and wife situation. Don't keep score. Guess what? Guys, I'll just tell you. you I mean, you might as well. You don't keep score. You will never win. You're not, you're not going to win. Do not keep score. If you, In a marriage relationship, if you're keeping score, there is. that means there's... There's a, there's a level of trust here and grace that's not happening. If it's family, if it's between brothers and sisters in Christ, if it's between co-workers or somewhere at your job, put the scorebook away. Because forgive, forgiveness means that we don't keep score. Second thing from Joseph that we learn is that forgiveness takes the first step. Forgiveness takes the first step. In verse 4, it says, so Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near. Now, context of the story, when the brothers went down to Egypt, they didn't know it was Joseph. Joseph had been down there for many years. He looked like an Egyptian. He talked like an Egyptian. He walked like an Egyptian. He... You know, the last time they saw him, he was off in a caravan. They didn't know what happened. They probably figured he was dead or enslaved somewhere. They, they found him in the least possible place they would ever expect as the viceroy of Egypt, 
looking like an Egyptian, talking like an Egyptian. So, so in fairness, in, you know, in some fairness to his brothers, they didn't know who they were dealing with yet until this part in the passage, until Joseph reveals himself to them. But notice, even though Joseph was in every, you know, every way you look at it, even given that, you know, you might say in the beginning in chapter 37, you might say he was a, he might have been a little arrogant and a little, you know, too sure of himself. And maybe he rubbed it in too much about the dreams to his brothers early on when he was a kid. And maybe he deserved a little bit. But here, he did not deserve to be sold as a slave into Egypt and stripped and all beaten and all those things, okay? So if, so if anyone here who's in the right, we would say Joseph would have been in the right. And even though he was in every right, he did not wait for his brothers to put two and two together. He didn't wait for his brothers to figure it out. He didn't wait for his brothers to feel bad about what they had done to him. What does he do? He makes the first move to them. Though he was was in every right to say, I'll never talk to you again. I mean, really, I mean, you would would think, if anything would be fair. And yet that's not forgiveness. He wasn't keeping score And he wasn't going to wait for them to make the first move. He made the first move to them. And that's what grace and forgiveness does. Forgiveness doesn't wait for the other person who may or may not be right or who may or may not be wrong in the situation. Forgiveness says, I'm going to make the first move to you regardless of if I was wrong or if you were wrong. Forgiveness shows love. Why, what makes us withhold forgiveness? Because that was another option Joseph could have done here. Not only could he have evened the score out pretty good, pretty well. Um, you know, he could, have, he could have snapped his fingers and the big strapping Egyptian guards could have taken him out back and fed him to the crocodiles. He could have done that. What holds him back? I mean, what, what, what would cause us to, to withhold forgiveness? Because he, he didn't. You know what holds us back? Our own pride. And our own self-righteousness. And our own... Our own when, when pride and self-righteousness take root in something that leads to bitterness 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 is something that takes root in our heart it's not like um, you know we, my, my parents dogs they got, they're, they're getting old they're like 150 in dog years um, but you know they're, I don't know what, how they've lived this long but one of them has been, been diagnosed with diabetes. And um, so Eden's ears perked up and was like, what's diabetes? Is that when you get the spots? Like she wants to know, is there a rash? Is there an infection? You know, what, 
you know, what causes this? Is there cream you can get? Is there medicine you can do to, to, to kill this or fight this off? And, you know, bitterness is not one of those things that's like, okay, we can give you a pill for. It's not something that pops up on your skin that we, you know, you go get somebody to look at it, maybe they cut it off and biopsy it and check it and see if it's, you know, malignant or not. But bitterness is something that takes root in your heart and it grows like a cancer. It grows and it grows and it grows. Bitterness is a poison which you drink in which you hope the other person dies. Think about that. But that's what we do when we try to, when we try to hold on to something. We've been hurt, we've been offended, or whatever it may be. And yet the Lord calls us to take the first step and forgive. Why? Well, He's told us to, but He tells us to take the first step because He took the first step with us. 1 John 4, 19, one of my favorite passages. We love Him. Why? Because He first loved us. It, some people get like the whole Christian life all messed up and think that God loves us because we love Him. And that if we love Him more or serve Him more or give Him more or are more holy, that He will love us more. That's a lie. He loves us so much that He loved us before we even knew who He was. That He loved us and forgave us before we could even call out to Him. He died for us. We love Him. Our only hope and chance of loving Him is because He loved us first. And didn't allow us to stay dead in our sin and in our transgressions. God takes the first move. You know what man's first move is? Remember Adam and Eve in the garden when we first started this thing? What was man's first move? Was man's first move toward God? What was our first move? Our first move was away from God. Yes! To cast blame. God, she's the one. Sorry, I'll point over here. (laughs) The woman you gave me. And what's Eve say? That serpent, God, that you made, right? Casting... Passing the buck, passing the blame. When Adam and Eve knew they had sinned, where did they go? They went and hid. They tried to fix it themselves. They made their own coverings. And they hid from God. So who made the first move? Did God sit and wait for them to figure it out? Did God sit and wait for them? No. God went looking for them. God went into that garden and said, Adam, where are you? Why did you hide? He dealt with the sin, yes. But he offered grace and forgiveness. And God made that first move. Too many times I see relationships and I see people and I see churches and I see families in which we do this. 
cross our arms and we hold on to that thing, whatever it is. And I brought that cinder block in here. Mark, is this heavy? You held it. Somebody, Cameron asked me if it was foam. If it was one of these, like, movie props. So I'm going to throw it, you know, right? No, this is the heavy, heavy duty. In fact, my arms are quivering right now, just holding it, just propped up on my belly, basically, right now. But this is what, it, this is what bitterness is right here. We hold it. And we hold it. And we carry it around. And it's heavy. And it wears us down and slows us down. And we carry it with us everywhere. Because even though it's heavy, it's ours. And we're not going to let anybody take it from us. I'm going to set it down right here because I'm about to drop it. (sighs) Okay. Praise God, he made the first move. Forgiveness takes the first step. Number three, forgiveness recognizes God's hand. And this is the story of Joseph. This is, this is what allowed Joseph to be able to forgive his brothers. Between verses 5 and 8, he tells them, he says in verse 5, Do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. He says later what... You know, he tells them later, what, what you meant for evil, God used for good. The goal of, of all of these things, what allowed Joseph to be able to forgive them was he was able to see God's plan and God's hand in everything. Even the awful things, the suffering and all of those things that he went through. It reminds me of Romans 8.28 that says... And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. All things, the good things and the bad things. God has a plan, but too many times we don't, we aren't looking at the big picture. We're not looking at God's plan. What are we looking at? Well, yeah, we're looking at our plan. Too many times we can't see the forest for the trees. We're, we're so concerned about this big tree that's right in front of us, and yet God can see the Google Earth satellite view of where exactly we are in the forest and, and that this is the direction we need to go in order to get where He wants us to be. And there's, there's a plan in that, one that we could not plan on our own. Because we can't always see. The question is, if you have trouble forgiving someone, is part of that reason because you don't see God's plan? One of the things that was brought up in our, in our Bible study time this morning was that Joseph was able to do this because he recognized that it was better for God to handle the thing called revenge and justice and all of that. That it wasn't up to him. And in fact, by letting God do it, he was saying, God, you're really better at that 
and I'm going to let you handle that part. When we take things into our own hands, when we fail to forgive, when we hold the grudge, when we hold the bitterness, it's like we're saying, God, I know better than you on how to work this thing out. I know better than you than how to handle this. I know better than you. I'm a more righteous judge than you are. So I'm going to help you out a little bit in your job. And yet forgiveness recognizes that God is in control. Number four, forgiveness reconciles God's people. Forgiveness reconciles God's people. In verses 9 through 13, you know, Joseph comes down, tells them who they are, who he is, and he is quick to say, go get dad. Go get dad. Go back to Canaan. Get dad. Get, get all your stuff together. Get all, the, get all your wives. Get all your kids and bring them down. The, the world was under a famine, but I've got God took what you meant for evil. He's worked it for good. There's plenty of food here. You come on down and we will We will put you up. We will take care of you. This was all part of God's plan. At this point, they were were hundreds of miles apart on the map, which translation to today would be more like thousands of miles. But yet when Joseph forgave his brothers, it brought them closer than they had ever been before. You see, this is really the goal of forgiveness. If I had like a subpoint or like a italicized point underneath it, the goal of forgiveness is reconciliation. You see, this is what God desires with us. He desires that we would be reconciled with Him because our, our sin breaks our relationship with God. And God was not, He would have been completely just to leave us separated from him. But because of his great love, he decided to make a way and sent his son, and that's what the cross did. It paid the penalty so that we can be reconciled, we can be drawn close to God. And we, we live now with the first fruits of that. When we, when we come to the Lord by grace, through faith, His spirit resides inside of us. His presence, God's very presence comes and resides inside the heart of the believer. So in one regards, we're reconciled with Him. One day when He returns, as Jesus told His disciples in John 14, I'm going to prepare a place for you. He's preparing a place for us so that now He resides in our hearts. One day we're going to reside in His house, in His presence forevermore. That's His goal. That's His plan. It's to reconcile us to Him forever. And if that's His plan... For all of us, don't you think it's His plan for His children, His people, to be reconciled with each other? Do you think God created us so we could be Hatfield and McCoys? No offense to the Hatfield and McCoys. I think like the descendants have actually like buried the hatchet and like forgiven the whole pig thing or whatever. But no. He's created us so that we would be Reconcile. That's the, that's, the goal of, that's the goal of forgiveness. But 
you know, there's sort of one issue there, and I know you're, it's, you're thinking about it in the back of your mind. But what about when, Pastor, what, what about those times when I forgive someone, but they don't forgive me back? What about those times when I'm trying to be reconciled and the person on the other side doesn't receive it or doesn't want it or runs the other direction? You know what Jesus told us? Jesus told us to love our enemies. Even when people don't reciprocate our love. Don't reciprocate our forgiveness. We're still called to love them. Love them as Christ has loved us. Is there a limit to his love? Is that easy? Somebody raise your hand and say that's easy. That's the hardest thing in the entire world. And that shows us just a glimpse of what Christ took on the cross when they beat him and spit upon him and slandered him and crucified him. Just as he went to the very, gave up his blood and gave up his life in order to reconcile us to him, we too should seek with every heart, with every heartbeat, with every ounce of life, every ounce of breath to seek to be reconciled with one another. Even in those times when we, it's hard, it's difficult, it's not reciprocated. Number five, the last thing this morning. And this is beautiful here. Forgiveness does not hold back. Forgiveness does not hold back. After... Joseph tells his brothers, you know, go get dad, go, you know, go bring him, bring everyone home. He says in verse 14, then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept upon his neck and he kissed all of his brothers and wept upon them. After that, his brothers talked with him. He did not say, I forgive you, but I'm still mad at you. He didn't hold anything back. He didn't say, I forgive you 95%, but I'm going to keep back this like 5%. I will never forget this 5%. Ever. Did he? No. Here, the whole, the, the kissing thing, this was the, this was the common Middle Eastern kind of greeting. This showed you were in right relationship with one another. It, the weeping shows the intense emotion over this that had been over 20 years in the, in the making. It shows us that this was a very, uh, very emotional thing, but yet it also shows us with Joseph, all the guilt was gone. He did not hold that sin against his brothers. And it's funny, even in our passage, in our lesson this morning, we saw, um, you notice, even after Jacob died, the brothers came back. The brothers came back, and what they do? They made up the little 
they made up this little note that said, oh, by the way, we found, Dad said in, with his dying breath to forgive your brothers. Because they, they, were, they were convinced. He's, Dad's dead. They're, he's he's going to, the 5%'s going to come back. He's going to kill us now. He didn't, did he? And it's interesting here, Luther points out that Joseph is an, is an even greater example of forgiveness than either um, Jacob or Moses. Okay? He's a, he's a greater example of forgiveness because um, in chapter, uh, chapter 48, 49, chapter 49, Jacob goes and he blesses all of his sons before he dies. Yet, he still sort of holds things back against Simeon and Levi for what they did. And even in, um, even Moses, at the end of his life, he pronounces a blessing upon all the tribes of Israel, and he omits the tribe of Simeon. And yet... These two big biblical figures, they, they were like, no, we're going to forgive, but we're not going to overlook this. But not with Joseph. Joseph didn't hold anything back. As we conclude this morning, Jesus did not hold anything back in forgiving us. He didn't say, I'll forgive you if you're a good boy. He didn't say, I'll forgive you if you never do it again. He didn't say, I'll forgive you, but... What does he say? Come to me, all who are weary, and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. This morning I walked in with my burden and I carried it around. I've kind of grown close and attached to this thing. But it's time to lay it down. It's time to come to the cross, to the altar, and leave it here. This morning, I don't know what your burden is. I don't know what that thing is that maybe you're walking around with that you just can't get over, you just can't forgive, you just can't lay down. I pray today, this time of invitation, that you will get between you and the Lord and lay it down with Him. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, we thank You that even though we were yet sinners, you died for us. And we thank you that even though we've rebelled, even though we, we've, we spite you, even though we, we run from you, that you have offered us complete and total forgiveness. And Lord, I pray that we would receive that forgiveness. And Lord, I pray that we would share that forgiveness with others that while you have wiped our slate clean, 
that you would, Lord, help us to wipe the slate clean with those around us. And those, those that it's easy to forgive and some, Lord, that it's hard to forgive. Help us to lay those burdens down and lay them at your feet. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together for our time of invitation. Pastor Mark.